Oh God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. Do you know that prayer? It was written by a man named Augustine in the fourth century. I'm going to say it again. You can read along if you want. This is a wonderful prayer. It says, Oh God, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Is there anybody here with a restless heart tonight? Or have you ever experienced a season of having a restless heart or that feeling of when things just aren't quite right? Do you long for, do you seek, do you strive for rest? Well, rest was what was on the mind of Naomi in Ruth chapter 3. Did you catch that in verse 1? Let's read it again together. I'll just read it for you. It says, Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it will go well with you? Should I not seek rest? It's actually a renewal of the hope that Naomi spoke in the very first chapter. We've been studying Ruth now for three weeks, and if you recall in the first week, in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi's husband has died, Naomi's two sons have died, and these three women are left without their men, without their husbands, without their protection, without their provision. And Naomi turns to her daughters-in-law, and she says to them, go, find rest in the household of a new husband. So this is what Naomi wants now for her daughter-in-law. They've traveled back from Moab, back to Israel, and rest is still what's on the mind of Naomi as she tries to care for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? It's hard for us to imagine how restless Ruth was. It's hard for us to imagine it because we live in a world where there's or at least we're aiming towards some kind of gender equality. I think we've got a long way to go. But in ancient Israel, women without a man were in a lot of trouble. Pastor David's been using this phrase over the last couple of weeks that the men provided protection and provision. And he reminded us, I think last week or the week before, that the word widow actually means no voice. To be a widow in ancient Israel means you don't have a voice, you don't have protection, you don't have provision, you don't have a household in which you can rest. Ruth was the very description of restlessness. All she wanted was to rest once again in the safety of a household of a man who could redeem her. Now it's hard for us to imagine just how restless she was, but we do sometimes have a sense of restlessness even in our own world. I was just talking this morning with a woman who goes to the Greenwich campus and she's trying to launch a new ministry in the nation of Italy. And I was getting emails from her over the last couple of weeks because she's having a hard time getting an extension on her visa in Italy. So she's had to come home, but in the last few weeks, she's been scrambling between U.S. embassies and local governing authorities, just trying to get the paperwork in place so that she can stay in Italy and keep doing that ministry. She had to come home. Now she's thinking she might have to go back to Italy illegally just to get her stuff back. I looked at her this morning, and you know what? She looked anxious. She looked restless. She didn't have a place to call home for her 
ministry. Well, maybe that's not familiar to you. Maybe you don't have a situation like that, but haven't all of us had a night in which we toss and turn on our mattress? It doesn't matter how nice the mattress is. It could be the most expensive latex foam technology. You could have the highest thread count sheets in a perfectly climate-controlled room, and you could still toss and turn on all those luxuries. Why? Because we might have restless hearts. We might feel a little bit like Ruth felt without her protection, without her provision. This actually shouldn't surprise us because according to the Bible, restlessness is the human condition. Restlessness, because of sin, restlessness is the human condition. There's this amazing description in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, God lists all the blessings of being in covenant relationship with him. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he lists all the curses. And one of the verses, Deuteronomy 28 verse 65, says this. This is a result of sin. And it says this. The curse of sin is that you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. This, according to the Bible, is the human condition if we are living outside of a covenant relationship with God. Restlessness. Augustine was right. Our hearts are restless. Have you ever tossed and turned on your mattress? Have you ever felt a feeling of restlessness? Maybe you do tonight. And if so, if there's any area of your heart that's still restless, you might be asking, well, what do I do about it? How do I find that rest that Ruth felt? Well, we can actually follow Ruth's journey. Ruth was a real person. It's a real historical personality as far as we know from the Bible. Her story really happened, but it also serves for us as an analogy of the Christian life. We can follow Ruth's path towards rest, from restlessness to rest. We can follow what she did so that we too can find the same rest that she found because Ruth found rest in the arms of her Redeemer. Ruth found rest in the arms of her Redeemer. When she returned to the intimacy of covenant love with her Redeemer, she finally began to rest once again, and so can we. So I want to read a few more verses from this chapter so we can follow Ruth towards rest. But before I read a couple of more verses, I have to explain a couple of things to you because this book was written many, many years ago in ancient Israel into the old Hebrew ears. They would have heard things in this text that made lots of sense to them. But we're in a totally different culture, so I just need to explain. I need to put two images in your mind before we read any further. The first one is of a threshing floor. Maybe you've pictured this before. Maybe you've seen it in like one of those illustrated Bibles or something. But let me just describe it for you. As you know, in the ancient world, they didn't have fairway grocery stores. So people had to grow their own crops. They had to um, eat. They had to grow grain to make bread. And this was true in ancient Israel. So people would harvest wheat, and they would take the wheat and bundle it up, and they would put it on a threshing floor, where then they would shake it, and they would separate the chaff from the kernel of wheat. And then workers, all men usually, 
would take fork type things and toss it up into the air and the wind would come and blow the chaff away while the pure kernel of grain would fall to the floor. And after they had done this for some time, pretty soon they'd have a large pile of grain. Okay, can you picture this? Now something else that the original Hebrew ear would have pictured when they heard threshing floor is not just the pile of grain, but they would also picture that at the end of the season, when the men had gathered together this huge pile of grain, they would celebrate. They would have a party, they would enjoy some of the fruit of their harvest, and then, in order to protect the grain from thieves, they would sleep in a perimeter around the pile of the grain. Can you picture that now? They would have their hearts and bellies full because of the party that they just participated in after a long, hard day's work, and then they would lie down and sleep all night long in a perimeter around the pile of grain. Maybe they'd keep one or two awake during certain hours in order to look out for possible thieves, but the rest of them would sleep. Now, interestingly, we know from the book of Hosea that that scene, these men sleeping around the piles of grain, that scene became a place where prostitutes would visit. Kind of makes sense if you think about it. Prostitutes would go visit these men. Think about it, they've just gotten their paychecks their hearts and bellies are full, they're sleeping there. The prostitutes knew they would have access to whatever men were interested. So prostitutes would approach that. We learned that in the book of Hosea. So can you picture the threshing floor now? Okay, now there's another image in the text that I want us to know about that's not readily apparent to our modern ears. And it's the image of a marriage proposal in ancient Israel. I want you to read this text with me, uh, or I'll read it, you can listen, from Ezekiel. There's this motif that goes throughout the Bible where God describes himself as a groom and he describes us, his people, as a bride. It's not just in the book of Revelation, it's actually in the Old Testament as well. This is from Ezekiel where God is speaking to his people and he says this, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you. By the way, this word, corner of my garment, can also be translated in Hebrew as wings. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. This is marriage language. If you've been to a Jewish wedding, has anyone here ever been to a Jewish wedding? No? Okay. Well, at a Jewish wedding, they, they, get, they have their, their vow uh, ceremony under a chuppah. You know, that kind of square box thing with a cloak over it? That's in order to reproduce this idea of the corners of a garment, of God's covenant love covering their covenant together. So when God says, I spread the corner of my garment over you, he's saying to his people, he's saying to us, I want to marry you. I want to enter a covenant with you that's so intimate and so precious and so full of love that it's like a marriage. Now, if I were to tell you that I saw somebody out on the street earlier walking with his girlfriend and suddenly stop her and get down on his knee and open up a box that had a diamond ring inside, you would know exactly what happened there, wouldn't you? You would know that he's proposing for marriage. And you'd wonder if she said yes or no. Well, in ancient Israel, they didn't do the opening up of the box with a diamond ring. They would spread, a young man would spread his garment, the wings of his garment around a young woman saying, marry me. And that would be reproduced at the wedding ceremony. Did you know that? Well, now you do. Now let's continue reading to find out what exactly happened 
on the threshing floor where those men are sleeping around the pile of grain in this interaction between Ruth and Boaz. Let's pick up the story in verse 6. It says this, So she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Remember, Naomi had come up with this plan where she could get access to Boaz. Verse 7, When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This word redeemer is helpful as well. We need to know what this means. Naomi knew that in order for Ruth to find rest, they could use one of the Old Testament laws that meant a redeemer, which means a close relative would marry this woman who had lost her voice, who had lost her protection, who had lost her provision. So what is Ruth doing on the threshing floor with Boaz? Some Bible scholars suggest she wasn't doing anything different than what the prostitutes were doing, that she came to proposition him for sex. I don't think that's right. I think it's much more serious than that. She comes and she says, spread your wings of your garment over me, for you're my redeemer. She's saying, will you marry me? It's like she's gotten down on her knee and presented a diamond ring. This is really bold. This is really risky. She's approached him in this place where prostitutes normally approach men. She startles him, and then she says, will you marry me? This is amazing for a woman, for an immigrant woman, to come onto the threshing floor and approach Boaz in this way. Now, Boaz could have responded in a number of different ways. He could have said, you're a woman. I'm supposed to do this. You messed this whole thing up. Follow the protocol. Or he could have said, you're an immigrant. You have no rights here. Get off my property. Let's find out what Boaz says instead. Pick up the story in verse 10. And Boaz says to her, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He's delighted. He says, you chose me over all the other young men. Let's continue in verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Why does he say do not fear? She's probably terrified. Her heart was probably beating out of her chest after she's asked him to marry her. Do not fear, he said. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Before we go on, I just have to point this out. Naomi had given her instructions, saying, go find him on the threshing floor, and he'll tell you what to do. Now look what Boaz has said to her. I'll do everything you told me to do. Isn't this amazing? This is a man submitting to a woman. Let me just pause right now and say this. If you know anybody who has walked away from the church because they think the Bible is anti-woman or anti-immigrant? It's not. Look at Boaz. He starts saying, I'll do everything you told me to do, Ruth. Isn't that amazing? Then Then what goes on after this, verse 12, it says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. He's just delighted 
of what she's just invited him into. He has to work out a detail because there's actually a closer relative who gets first dibs on her, and he promises to go and talk with him and get that figured out. But basically, he says, yes, I will marry you. I picture them there just the rest of the night just kind of snuggling, you know? I think Ruth, for the first time in a long time, is beginning to rest. She's going from restlessness to rest because she is now safe in the arms of her Redeemer. She's being wrapped in the wings of his love. She has traveled all the way from Moab to Israel. She has worked from sun up to sundown every day on Boaz's field, and now she goes the final distance. She takes this bold risk. She sneaks into a place where she might have access to have a conversation with Boaz. And she says, will you redeem me? Will you marry me? And he says, yes, he's delighted. He responds in love and he responds in grace and he responds actually in dignity. I'm not gonna go through the rest of the verses here, but the way he sends her off is with dignity. It's not the walk of shame home that some commentators say it is. He sends her home in dignity. He says, everybody knows you're a worthy woman. I think he's saying you're not like the prostitutes that come. You are worthy. And he sends her home with a gift. So do you have any restlessness in your heart? You, like Ruth, we, like Ruth, can run boldly into the arms of our Redeemer. We can say to God, I choose you. I choose you. Just like Ruth said to Boaz. Now, there's one more detail in the story I want to show you that's really cool. In the final verse of the chapter, in verse 18, it says this. This is uh, Naomi talking. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Why can Ruth finally begin to rest? Why can... Ruth find a solution for her restless heart because now her Redeemer's working on her behalf. He's not resting anymore. You see this? Boaz gets up from his rest and starts working on Ruth's behalf, settling the matter before sundown today. It's the same for you and for me. We can rest. Our hearts can find rest because our Redeemer has worked on our behalf. Our Redeemer's name is Jesus Christ, and he went to the cross for us. He did not rest until the work was finished. He settled the matter so we can rest. In the book of Hebrews, it says we basically have two choices for our future. We will either enter into God's wrath or we will enter into his rest. His Sabbath rest, it says. There is a rest for the people of God. Our Redeemer has worked on our behalf. Can you picture him on the cross? Sweating, bleeding, crying out. He's finishing the work necessary to redeem you so you can run to him. You can run into the safety of his wings. He will wrap his love around you and say, come here, I want to spend eternity with you. I want to be in a covenant relationship with you. I'm delighted that you've chosen me. Oh God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Amen.